Every year, as fall fades into winter, my mailbox begins to become full of Christmas cards. Many of them look the same. The families appear, mom, dad, children, sometimes even animals, all sporting the same Christmas sweater and Santa hat. And everyone is smiling ear to ear. And I can't help but be disgusted. This, this is a lie. I know, I know this is not what life looks like on the regular. And I smile, I appreciate the warm tidings of the season. But I recognize that the picture doesn't tell the whole story. Social media works in a very similar way, right? Everybody always posts their amazing adventures, wonderful happenings in day-to-day life, and you look and you think, man, my life doesn't look like that. This person's having an awesome time. No one posts some of the starker pictures. Like, no, no one has a really big fight with their spouse that they just happen to catch on camera that they post to social media. Check out this huge fight my wife and I had. No one posts the, the, the video of their kid just melting down, throwing a fit, and then them in the kitchen like pulling their hair out. What am I going to do with this kid? I think he's demon-possessed. Those things don't show up. And I share that to say, a picture is worth a thousand words, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And this morning, as we turn our attention to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I want you to know what we have here is a snapshot of the early church. We've got a social media post of the early church, a Christmas card of the early church, and there are true and wonderful things in this text. The text is meant to give us a picture of some of the essential things that a church devotes itself to. But what I don't want you to do is look back at the church in Acts and go, this was the golden age of perfection within the church. And if, if we can just get back to doing everything exactly as they did, we would enter into utopia. It would be great. Everything would be perfect like it used to be. Brothers and sisters, The church has never, ever been perfect. It's always been a mess because it's always been made up of sinners. And God has been adding sinners to it daily ever since the start. And so what we have here is an imperfect church, just like we are an imperfect church. But it's an imperfect church that's devoted to these essential things. These essential things that honor God and bind the people together. And so this morning, I I hope uh, that we will see these church essentials, that we will see churches are devoted to God's word, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And I'm going to exhort us corporately together as a church and you as individuals to, to give yourself, to give ourselves to learning, sharing, eating, and praying. And our outline will follow suit there, as you can see. Let's pray and review, and then we'll get started. God, we need you this morning. We need you to speak. We, We are done with 
life as usual, with church as usual. We want to change and to be more like Jesus. Pray that you would disrupt our comfortable lives with your word. Pray that you would call us out of our sins and out of ourselves and into communion with Jesus, closer communion, and a closer relationship with one another. God, this morning we, we bring our nothing to you, ready to receive your very best grace and mercy afresh. Give us ears to hear focus that we might pay attention. Give me clarity and eloquence that I might preach in such a way that you would be honored. Help us to love your word this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts up to this point is all about what we said. We could summarize the whole book as Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down, and the church goes out. In chapter 1, we have Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, teaching his disciples all about the kingdom of God and its coming. He promises them in verse 8 of chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower them to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, that promise of the Spirit is fulfilled and the command that's given to them to be his witnesses begins to play out. If you remember that when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, it comes quite suddenly and unexpectedly. It comes down with the sound of hurricane-like winds. There's this light that's shaped in the form of tongues, and it rests above each of the disciples' heads, about 120 of them, and they all begin to speak in tongues or languages that aren't their own. Not angelic tongues here, remember. It's languages of all of those various nations that have come into Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. And so they're looking around at this kind of chaos and they're like, they're not speaking in the Aramaic, which would be the common language that we would all know, Aramaic or Greek. They're, they're speaking in my language from the land I'm from. And then there's another people from another language and they're speaking in my language. What, what, what does this mean? And they can't quite get their heads around it. And so they come to the conclusion that the disciples are just really, really drunk. Right? That somehow drunkenness has caused them to be fluent in languages that they've never learned. And Peter stands up and he corrects this misunderstanding. He's like, look, y'all, it's too early in the morning. It's only nine. Uh, they haven't had their coffee yet. They haven't had their lucky charms. They haven't even had a chance to get drunk. That's not what's going on. What's, what's happening is the fulfillment of the promise of God. The Spirit has arrived. The prophecy of Joel is coming true. We are in the last days, the last season of earth. We are in the time of the new covenant because the Messiah has come. Remember, Peter argues that it's Jesus who they crucified and killed who is the Messiah. And he says, I know you don't have a category for a crucified Messiah, that that's oxymoronic. It's like saying frozen steam, but indeed he was the Messiah. 
He was resurrected as the scriptures foretold. He's ascended to the throne of David as the scriptures foretold. He's poured out his spirit on his people now as the scriptures foretold. He is, verse 36, both Lord and Messiah. And the people go, what now shall we do? They're they're cut to the heart, the text says. And we said this is a way of helping helping us realize that they are personally affected by this message. That they are circumcised in heart. They say, what, 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 what can we do in response to this? And Peter says, put your faith in Jesus by repenting and being baptized. And so all those who believe, all those who accept the message of Peter, repent and are baptized. And if you haven't been here, the, the big point, uh, last, I guess two weeks ago, big point of chapter two is not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's important. It's incredible stuff. But the point of chapter 2, the point of Acts, the point of the Bible, it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to put the light on Jesus. That's the point of chapter 2, that Jesus is King. That all who call upon His name in faith will be saved from the wrath that their sins have earned from God. Friends, No one, one of the things we learn, no one is born a Christian. If you are to follow Jesus, the fruit of that genuine faith will show up in repentance from sin and obedience in baptism. Those are the first fruits of the Christian life. Repentance is you, you always repent the rest of your Christian life. Baptism is not the end of the Christian life. It's, it's the beginning. It's one of the first things you do. And you continue to walk with Jesus. In baptism, we, we are picturing our union with Jesus into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We are showing that God the Spirit has changed us. That we have been born again. And when we are born again as Christians, it shows up in our lives. We have new devotions. Look at me at verse 41. So those who accepted his, that's Peter's message, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. The to them there, what they were added to, to their number, is the church. Right? People believe in Jesus, they repent of their sins, they get baptized out of their sins, out of the world, and into the church. They're added to the church. There's no concept of a lone ranger Christianity anywhere in the New Testament. There's, there's not this idea of me and Jesus, right? The text doesn't say, And so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day they all returned to their homes. They downloaded their favorite podcasts from their favorite preachers and listened to them on occasion when they felt like it. They read their Bibles every now and again and just went about their business. They definitely would not have hung out with one another because those Christians, they're no fun to hang out with. No! There's no me and Jesus. It is we and Jesus from the very start. 
To follow Jesus, to be united to Jesus in faith, is to be united to his people. Those who are devoted to Jesus are devoted to his church. So they are added. And notice here, verse 42, part of becoming, when they're added to the church, they begin to devote themselves to these church essentials. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The word devoted in the Bible means to give yourself to something. In English, it means the same thing, right? They are giving themselves to these four things. And so there's a question I want to hang over our time together this morning. A question I kind of want you to, to put in the back of your mind and just mull over as I preach to you. What are you devoted to? What in your life threatens to eclipse everything else? What are your, your hobbies? What hobbies are you devoted to? Perhaps I could phrase it differently. What hobbies have you? What are you devoted to? In the early church, first of all, we see is devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching to which they were devoted? Simply put, it is the word of God. It is the gospel. The teaching of the apostles is to show everyone who's in the early church just how salvation has come into the world. Just how all of the scriptures from the Old Testament tell about Jesus. The apostles' teaching actually ends up being our New Testament as well, as they write, as they're carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles' teaching turns out to be God's word. It's what Jesus commissioned them to do. To listen to the apostles is to listen to Jesus. The apostles' teaching is authoritative. It determines life and practice. And it's confirmed to be the very word of God. That's what verse 43 is about. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. You see, the miracles are not being done just like a fireworks display to try and impress everyone. Look at all these miracles we're doing. It's awesome, isn't it? No. The miracles are serving the message. They are authenticating the apostles' teaching. They're showing the people that this is God who is at work. The people are in awe because of the word of God being proclaimed by the apostles and confirmed by God. Friends, when, when we come to understand God's word, there is no other response other than awe and wonder. When God's word is, is rightly proclaimed, when God becomes a reality to you, the weight of his glory displaces everything else in your life so that you become reoriented around Christ. 
when God becomes a reality to you rather than just some esoteric, ethereal concept, it leaves you in awe. I wonder when was the last time that you were in awe over God's work in your life? In awe over the miracle of your own salvation. Think about it. You, you deserve an eternity under God's wrath for sinning and rebelling against God. And instead of giving you that, he sends Jesus to die for our sins and to raise for our justification. Like, isn't it, doesn't that stagger you? Isn't it, isn't it amazing that God loves someone as messed up as you? As broken as your friends? Isn't it, isn't it amazing that God loves someone as wretched as me? This is, this is the scandal of the gospel. That the king of the cosmos leaves perfect, Edenic happiness comes to earth and takes our rags and gives us his riches. This is, this, this is the great exchange. We deserve death and he takes it from us and says, I will die in your place. And he gives us, he doesn't just bring us back to zero and like set us free from prison. He gives us all the wealth of heaven. Every spiritual blessing in heaven becomes ours when we put our faith in Christ. Not only do we get out from under God's wrath, we get adopted into God's family. Those who should be criminals, killed as criminals, share in the life of the crown. Our king is crucified so that we can be adopted into the family of God, so that we can become royalty. Is wonderfully scandalous that should leave us in awe the presence and power of God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this wonderful news is for you. If you will turn from your sins and follow Jesus, you will repent and be baptized. You will put your faith in our good and mighty and risen King. You can take hold of this wonderful gift of God. The Apostles' teaching is authoritative. The Word of God leaves us in awe of God. And it is creative. It's creative. You see, God's Word makes God's people. It's God's word that gives life to the dead. In the same way that God's word called forth all that exists before time began, so too his word makes his people. Right teaching is crucial. The word of God creates the people of God. And it sustains the people of God. Doctrine is everything. If you lose a right understanding 
of who Jesus is, you lose everything. If we get away from the gospel, the truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, if you abandon that, then you have lost everything. We have lost everything. If we get the gospel wrong, if we misunderstand who Jesus is, nothing else we do matters. You understand that? We have the, the best music ever seen in a church. You can have the most motivational speaker. Makes everybody just leave the place just ready to, to jump over a mountain. Right? The best community. It's really knit together. Best service projects. Just really loving the community and doing good to neighbor. You can do all those things. And if you don't have the gospel right, you have nothing and it means nothing. Because there is no salvation outside of Christ Jesus. There's no salvation outside of faith alone in Christ alone. You leave that and you've got nothing. We've got nothing. We must be devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the Word of God. This is, this is why you pay me, right? Because we want to make sure we're understanding who Jesus is, who God is rightly. This is why I spend the vast majority of my time with my head in commentaries, reading about the Word of God, praying the Word of God, studying the, the text of Scripture, because it is the Word of God. We, we are a people who want to be devoted to learning about God. And the way we learn about God and grow in our relationship with God is learning the Word of God, devoting ourselves to it. I, devote, I, I spend so much time there. We give so much time and space to the preaching of God's word because we believe it's God's word that creates new life, that sustains the Christian life, and that builds the church. I spend so much time there during the week because I'm devoted to giving you my best. My prayer is that you would be devoted to, to giving me and each other your best. Are you devoted to the Word of God? How does, your, how does your schedule bear that out? You seek Him daily in His Word? How does your anticipation of Sunday morning bear that out? And typically, we're just walking right through a book of the Bible. Do you read ahead? You pray over what's going to be preached? Pray for me and your brothers and sisters in Christ during the week that we might hear and understand what it is that God has to say. Did you come to this gathering expecting to hear from God? If you're not, you're, you're missing out. friends. Come expectantly. Devote yourself to the Word of God. This is what Spirit-filled Christians do. They center themselves around the Word of God. The Spirit of God draws us to the Word of God, to the glory of God. We see that the early church is devoted to the Word of God. We also see it's devoted to fellowship or sharing. Look with me um, back at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. These folks love each other. They can't get enough of each other. Look, they're spending time with each other like during the week in each other's homes, in the temple. Friends, it's not just enough for a church to have good teaching. We need to have good friends. And these, these people love each other enough. They're, they're tightly knit together so much so that they're sharing their stuff. They're selling their stuff so that they can meet one another's needs. Right, you understand that not everyone in this church is from Jerusalem. Like These Jews came from all over to celebrate the Pentecost festival from other nations, so it's a diverse group. Not all of them live there. But all of a sudden, they've heard this message that's changed their lives to the extent that now the church is in Jerusalem and they're staying in Jerusalem. Not all of them are people of wealth and resources. And so those of them that do have wealth and resources are like, hey, my brother or sister in Christ has a need. I'm going to sell my stuff to meet that need. I'm not going to have an abundance of things while my brother and sister in Christ goes hungry and goes without. But what's, what's mine is theirs. Friends, this is not communism. This is church. That we would care enough about one another to share our very lives together, to sell our things in order to meet one another's needs. I wonder, has anybody, has anybody in this church ever met a need of yours? Timely conversation, babysitter, maybe sent you a word of encouragement, taken you to a meal, any number of things. Has anybody ever met a need for you here? Better yet, have you ever met a need for somebody else? I have to confess, I have been on the receiving end of some really good things. I think immediately, I don't know why this is the first thing that comes into my head, because uh, it's, it's not helpful to my image here. But uh, not so long ago, I don't remember when it was now, I, I managed to run over the well in my backyard right? Or Sunday after church, I don't know how it happened. I'd like to blame Chelsea, but it was me. And I called David, and, you know, right away that afternoon, he came over, and, and he was good about it. You know, he didn't make fun of me or anything. He did have a grin across his face the whole time. But he was good about it. He helped me, got everything fixed up. He, he, he was there to, to meet that need. I think the only comment he made was, like, he needed to put up some orange cones so I wouldn't get confused in the future. But he's there to meet that, that need. Or I think of not so long ago, uh, Jenny forced Chelsea to separate from my children and go to lunch with me. Right? She was like, I'm going to babysit, and you're going to go to lunch with Justin. I don't know how into it Chelsea was, but I was excited. She was there to, to serve us. Judy always keeps me in fresh homemade jam. Love it. 
I remember a time uh, eating lunch with my family and, and looking out of my front window and seeing Linda Dodd straddled on the hillside with loppers trying to, to cut a, I don't even know what she was doing, right? Like trying to make things look nicer over there, I guess. And I told Chelsea, this woman is crazy. We have to go stop her. I don't know what she's doing. I think probably everyone in the room has sent me a card or prepared me a meal or brought me stuff that's at one point or another. You all have been very good to me, my family, helping to meet our needs. Brothers and sisters, I want my experience to be the experience of every member. Remember in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, the body of Christ has the same concern for each and every member. And you all have done a good job loving me, but I want to make sure that we are doing a good job loving one another so that each and every one of us experiences what it is to share life together, to meet one another's needs, to have true, true fellowship or sharing It's obligatory, I think, when you come to this text to point out what the Greek word for fellowship is. I don't know why that is, because it just means fellowship or sharing. Um, and the only reason I'm sharing it with you right now is because I think it's the one Greek word that Mike knows, and he always mispronounces it. Do, do you want to tell him? No? I'll tell you. He always says, we'll be talking, and he says, yeah, what's that, that word for fellowship? That's, uh, is it cornania? I'm like, cornania? Something more serving later? Corn pudding? But, but the word is koinonia. Koinonia. And, and it just means fellowship or participation or sharing. And you see it at play throughout the whole of this text. They are sharing, fellowshipping in the word of God. They are sharing, fellowshipping in with their possessions. They are, are sharing, fellowshipping in the, the eating of food. They're sharing, fellowshipping in prayer. They're sharing their lives together. They're together a lot. They're devoted to one another. And are, are you devoted to the men and women in this room? Are you devoted to sacrificially loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. The church here is devoted to meeting needs, to sharing life together. Are we? One of the ways they share life together, very simple, is through eating, through eating Verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Uh, breaking bread here uh, is not really controversial. Some people are like, it just means the Lord's Supper, and other people's means this is regular eating. Uh, and then the wiser commentators, uh, they're the wiser ones because they agree with me. Uh, they, they say that the breaking of bread here is both. So typically in the early church, what they would do is they would participate in the Lord's Supper, and that would fold into just a regular feast. With me, just kind of like they did in, when we were in 1 Corinthians 11. They, they, they celebrate the Lord's Supper in concert with a regular meal. Not only are they taking the Lord's Supper every time they're together and eating, but certainly some of the times. 
And this, this breaking of bread, this meal sharing, begins to really mark the early church. Do you hang out with the people in this room? You cannot be devoted to one another if you don't spend time with one another. Fellowship is more than donuts and coffee and small talk. You've not been called to some really neat acquaintances with whom you discuss the weather every once in a while. You've been called to the family of God. Families spend time together. Families eat together. I mean, don't, don't tell me that you're a part of my family if you never show up at the dinner table. The church spends time together and it eats together. I see in these verses that these Christians are seldom alone. Like they're sharing their life together, selling their things to meet one another's needs. They're meeting into the, in the temple. They're eating from house to house, joyfully, sincerely. And, and I, I look at this and I go, as Christians, it's probably not good for us to be alone a whole lot. And yet we are so isolated, so individualistic, and we are missing out on so much. We need to be done with church as usual. It's not just a club that you show up to. It's people that you live each and every day with. We need to get out of our routines and allow God to change how we behave, to change who we eat with. We need to get out of this isolation. My former pastor said this on this text, and I want to share it with you. He says, The default in our culture is to be so about me and my family that my schedule will not allow me to have anyone else in my house. Let me warn you. Beware of a family-exclusive table. A table that excludes everyone else but my family. You are not living out a devotion to the church if you have no room for your brothers and sisters in Christ at your table or on your calendar. I think it's time for us to ask ourselves, do I enjoy community with God's people? Or just the idea of it? Community, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that. Relationships in Christ, yeah, I'll call someone brother or sister. But don't ask me, don't ask me to actually hang out with them. And actually spend time with them. I don't want the real thing. Brothers and sisters, eating together must be a priority for you. Hospitality is not an optional part of the Christian life. Can it be awkward? Yes. Can it be scary? Mm-hmm. Is it uncomfortable? Usually at first. 
Is it optional? No. We need to resolve right now to have one another around your table. As the church, we share not only the Lord's table, but our dinner tables. And if we are not sharing our dinner tables, we need to question whether or not we are coming worthily to the Lord's table. He's called us to love one another as he has loved us. And guess what? Jesus loves you enough to have you over for dinner and to come over to your place for dinner. I love Luke's gospel. Uh, In every scene, Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or he's just left a meal. Like, dude, love to eat. He's my kind of guy. Let's have a good meal and some good wine and let's, let's rock and roll. That's what Jesus is doing in Luke. This was, and it's not, about, it's not about the food. It's not about the presentation of your house. It's about relationship. Relationships are built around the table over food. It's good if the food's good, but and I can remember having Josh Hicks to my house a few times and you know, you know, Chelsea put a little bit too much pepper on those peas. And we always joke about like, gotta love those blackened vegetables. He'd ask for them from time to time, give her a little hard time. It's not about the food. It's about the relationship. I think somewhere along the line, uh, Martha Stewart ruined this for us. Where like hospitality uh, became about like doing all this crafty, weird stuff. And like, I don't know if it's weird, but just, you know, setting up your house and it's about presentation, but that's not what it is. Hospitality is inviting someone into your house, which is really inviting them to get to know you. Again, that can be scary. They're going to come to my house and see my stuff. They're going to ask me about the pictures on the wall. They're going to see my mess. It's okay. Hospitality is about inviting others into your home and into your life and then asking them to do the dishes. Right? It's a, it's a shared fellowship. We have to commit ourselves to this. If we don't, we're, we're missing out. If the only time you see your brothers and sisters in Christ is when you walk into this room, you are robbing them and you are robbing yourself of some of God's greatest blessings. You want to see your spiritual life grow by leaps and bounds? Deny yourself and follow Jesus. Give up parts of your calendar in order to have the people of Christ around your table. Get together with one another. Again, start small. Just say, hey, over the next three weeks, I'm going to have at least one member of the church over for dinner or lunch or whatever. Do it. Write it down right now. I'm going to resolve to do this. And when you get home, don't just call one person and then they're like, no. But you can start with the people that aren't here today and they'll just think you're being really generous and kind. Right? But, but call and keep calling until you get somebody to commit. Share food together. Delight in Christ together. Be the family of God. The church is devoted to learning the word of God, sharing fellowship and life with one another, sharing meals together. And the church is devoted to prayer. Prayer. See that in verse 42. And if you look at verse 41 and verse 47, you kind of see a little bit 
of uh, what I would call an inclusio, according to theme. We have God adding to the church. God's adding to the church. The reason we pray is because if God doesn't work in and among us, then we're wasting our time. Prayer acknowledges our need for the presence and action of God. It expresses our utter dependence upon Him. If, if God is not present among us, we are wasting our time. We, we need God. We need Him. If He doesn't show up in our singing, in our praying, in the preaching, if He doesn't show up in our gathering around the Lord's table, if He doesn't show up in our time spent together sharing meals, then, then we're wasting our time. God is the one who must act. God is the one here, if you look, that is adding to the church. I think sometimes people look at this text and go, one of the primary marks of a healthy church is that it's always growing, always growing numerically. Growing. And I look and I go, no. We can't force the church to grow numerically. In fact, I can fake that, right? I can really appeal to someone on the basis of things that they like can find some music they like and play it, can say things they like. We, we grow a church on things other than the gospel. But that's not worth very much. No, it's, it's God who grows the church. And when a church devotes itself to God's word and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, God sometimes decides to bless that with numerical growth. A church that's devoted to these things is going to grow. We're going to grow as individuals in Christ. We're going to mature. But there's no guarantee about the results. Our job is to be faithful. God will give the growth. It's like the farmer who sows the seeds. He doesn't make the seed grow. Sun, rain, all that. God will do the growing. It's God that we need to show up. We come here to meet with one another and with God. If we are devoted to these church essentials, we'll find that our community becomes quite compelling. People will look and notice. It'll be, it's a wonderful thing when the church is the church. Once upon a time, my uh, former pastor again, he really killed it on this message, I think. Uh, but he shared, he, he shared a translation of his, uh, of these verses, and I, I'd like to read it to you. They devoted themselves to the nightly news update and to their personal interests and to hobbies and sports and social media. Everyone was bored to tears, and nothing out of the ordinary was allowed to take place. All the believers were isolated and considered their stuff as their own. If someone had a need, they sent them to the government-run social service programs, and then complained about their taxes. Once a week tops, they met together. They never set foot in each other's homes. And when they were together, their conversation was always about the weather or small talk aimed at covering up their real problems. They went through the motions of worship on Sunday morning, and were considered hypocrites by all the people because they did whatever they pleased throughout the week. And mercifully, the Lord spared most folks from being added to their number. I label his description or his translation the me church version. 
gives us a description of an individualistic, personal, prideful, me-centered approach to Christianity. The description we have in the Bible is a we church. One is faithful and honoring to God and the other is not. The question is, what kind of church is Rockfish Valley Baptist Church? Are we a me church or a we church? Each one of you is contributing to one of the other. Are you worried about yourself when you come here? Is your coming and your serving really actually just about you? Or are you devoted to others? Do you need people more? Or do you love people more? I want to be a church that is devoted to the Word of God, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I want us to be a people that are committed to learning about God, sharing life together, eating together, even praying together. Let us be a church that is marked by the presence of God among us. Let us be a church that stands in awe of Jesus. Let us be a church that is being changed radically, daily, by the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this picture of the early church. It reminds us that we have a lot to work on. We don't want to look at them as if they were perfect. We know they had plenty of problems. As the book of Acts details and the letters in the New Testament bear out. But even in the midst of their mess, you were able to use them to glorify yourself. Able to use them to show us the things that you call your people to be devoted to. God, we recognize that those who are devoted to Jesus are devoted to one another. We confess our sin this morning, God, that we have not been involved enough in one another's lives. We confess our sin of being more concerned with ourselves than with others. God, we ask that you would give us some Philippians 2 DNA, that we would begin to consider others more significant than ourselves, that we would have the mind of Christ who has loved us, given himself for us, and who gives himself to us. Let us go and do likewise and give ourselves for the good of our neighbors and for your glory. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.